Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Okay, today we are doing Lazarus Lessons Part 3, John 11, 38-44. It's a story of Lazarus, which we've been going on the last few weeks, and we're getting to the real exciting part of it. Now, the story of Lazarus reminds me of another story I heard one of my pastor friends told. We were sitting around with a group of pastors and telling funny stories, strange experiences. Uh, and one of them was telling me how what, something that happened to him. He was saying that he had a woman from his church that was in a nursing home. Her husband wasn't in a nursing home, but her health was pretty bad, so she was in a nursing home. And so one day she got pretty sick, so her husband called him at night and said, could you please go visit my wife tomorrow? She's very, very sick. So the next day he gets to the nursing home and he comes to her room and she's laying there in bed sleeping. And so he calls her name a couple of times and she doesn't answer. So he said, well, she's probably pretty tired. I'm just going to pray for her. So he goes up to the bed and he prays for her. And then he gets in his car and he's heading back. And he says, I'll stop by the husband's house and just let him know I visited and prayed for her. Just let him know. So he gets to the house, and he comes up to the door, and he sees the whole family in there. He's like, oh, wow, she must really be sick if the kids are back for a visit and everything. The kids are all full-grown, back for a visit. And so he walks in, and he says, hi, everybody. And he says to the husband, I just got back from visiting your wife, and I, was, and I prayed for her. And he said, you what? She's dead. <laughs> so that had explained a lot. He had... She had died earlier in the day, but they hadn't moved the body yet, which explains why she didn't answer him. So he was pretty embarrassed. That was a pretty awkward moment in ministry for him. But when Jesus prays for someone and calls their name, things happen even when they are dead. Wait till we see what happens today. We're just starting Mark 11, actually, the triumphal entry. But to really understand Mark 11, the triumphal entry how the people were so excited and the religious leaders were so angry at Jesus. We jumped over to a parallel passage here in John 11, an event that immediately precedes the triumphal entry. Now, we already spent two weeks in John 11 because we're working toward the, the event that sets the stage for the triumphal entry, but we looked at some spiritual lessons along the way that lessons for the apostles and the lessons for Martha and Mary and us. And now we come to the climax of the story, which explains a lot about the triumphal entry. We're going to talk about it this week and next week. It's really a two-part ending here. Let me start with prayer. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would show us from your word what you have for us today. That you would convict us and, and move in our hearts and encourage us. And whatever, whatever your Holy Spirit wants to do through your word, we pray that it would happen through your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me start with reading the passage. We'll start with verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, 
his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. So, verse 38, we'll start with that. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He was deeply moved again. Remember last week, we, it's the same word that we saw used last week when he was deeply moved. It means he snorted, just like a horse snorts. We, he used the same Greek word of a horse snorting. He snorted again. It, it's an idea of suppressed rage, of deep indignation, because he felt the weight of sin and suffering. We talked about that last week. In the cave had a stone in front of it, and what they would do is they would put a stone in a track so that it could be rolled over the cave and away from the cave. And they rolled it across the entrance when they put Lazarus in there to keep the smell in and the animals out. That's what they would do with these caves and these tombs in the caves. 39, it says, Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. So Jesus says, take away the stone. What does Martha say? But Lord, uh-oh. Whenever we start a prayer with, when we're talking to Jesus and we start out with, but, but Lord, that's usually not a good sign, is it? That's usually not the way we want to start our prayers with the word but, all right? Uh, but Lord, she says, there's a bad odor. Now, you know, we use a lot of different Bible translations, but I think the one who got this best was the King James Version. Anybody have a King James Version out there? Okay, what does it say? He stinketh. He stinketh. I, like, I just think they got that right. He stinketh. All right, that's, that's <laughs> the King James. See, embalming wasn't practiced yet. Instead, they would just wrap the body and put a lot of heavy spices on it, and then they would bury it the day of the death because... Because if they didn't, it would stinketh, right? Um, I remember when I was at seminary in, Ch in Chicago, and there was a, a story that hit, hit the fan, so to speak. Uh, a story of a, this family that practiced some weird religion. I think they're Baptists or something. I don't know. Uh, I'm making fun of ourselves here. I see I make fun of us too, right? So uh, some weird religion. And what they would... Turns out what happened was the police found that the, the, there was a family, a family there, but the dad of the family, they found, the police found that he was dead in bed for eight years. In bed for eight years. They, and this family that was practicing this weird religion, they were changing his clothes. They just thought he was sick and he was going to come back alive again. And they were changing his clothes and, and he was just skin and bones because he was dead. Uh, the neighbors were, thought it was strange they hadn't seen the dad in a while, eight years. Uh, but the only clue that they had is they did think they smelled something pretty bad for a, a long time. There was a bad smell in the area, but they didn't really know what it was, except they knew it, it stinketh. All right, so Lazarus wasn't dead for eight years, but he had been there for four days. And you say, well, why is there four days? Why the Holy Spirit include this? Because, why did Jesus, remember we said Jesus delayed? He didn't come right away? He had a reason for that? We talked about that. Many of the Jews at this time had a superstitious belief that when somebody died, the soul waited outside the body for three days, hoping to get back into the body. But after that, the decomposing body, they gave up and the spirit went on somewhere. And this was a common, very common Jewish superstitious belief. Now we know why Jesus waited four days until there was no human hope. That's what he was doing. 
Otherwise, they could have said, oh, yeah, the, the spirit was just there hanging around and finally came back. He waited till there was no chance anymore. And Martha here, Martha, we see, had this amazing faith. We already talked about that, right? She was the only one, the first one in the Bible to ask Jesus to raise somebody from the dead. Others had said, please heal this and do this. and other But she was the first one to ask Jesus to raise somebody from the dead. But when she gets to the tomb... When the rubber meets the road, what does she do? She bails out. And that's very natural, right? Even when we believe in God's power and we believe Jesus is going to do something. But what happens, it's only natural that our, our faith starts to waver. We start to struggle with doubt. Not only doubt, but we often resist God's working in our life or someone else's life. Right? Don't we often do that? But Lord... But Lord, we resist God's working. We resist him removing stones in our life or in someone else's life because we worry about the mess. We worry about the mess, right? How often I've seen this in my own life and as a pastor, husbands not liking what God's doing in the wife or the wife not liking, liking what God is putting the husband through or parents not liking what the kids are going through or on and on, you can add to the list, right? Not liking it, and, and not only not liking it, but resisting God's working, what God was trying to do in the life of that loved one because we don't understand what God is doing. You're hurting them, God. Or you're hurting me through this, God. You're hurting us. We don't understand. Or, or it takes us out of our comfort zone when he starts to do that work that needs to be done. That's why so many people are afraid. If somebody's saying, I wish God would just change this person or that person. I said, well, just pray. Say, God, do whatever you need to do in your child's life. Oh, I can't pray that. What if he did blah, 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 right? I'm like, that's the whole point. You're trusting God to do what he needs to do, you know? But, but we, we, it, it takes us out of our comfort zone. And when God finally does start to work that way, what do we say? This stinks, God. This really stinks. And that's what Martha was afraid of. How are we resisting God today? What is he trying to do in our life or in the life of someone else? Are we going to say, God, this stinks, or are we going to submit to what he's doing? Now, Lazarus was dead, and yet, in verse 40, look what Jesus says. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? If we believe, we will see God's glory. What is God's glory in this passage? The resurrection of Lazarus, which is a preview of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Which shows God's glory. It shows his, his power. It shows Jesus Christ's power over death, over sin, over Satan. But notice the order of what Jesus said. First believe, then see God's glory. Believing is seeing. It's flipped on us, isn't it? Believing is seeing. First we believe, then we'll see God's glory, which is the resurrection result. It's believing and then seeing. If you, if you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, there has to come a time when you say, God, I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross to pay for my sin. I believe he rose from the dead to prove he was the son of God and, and to give me brand new life. I believe that. We, we have, if you've never put your faith in Christ, that has to happen where we say, God, I believe. And after you say, I believe and put your faith in Jesus, then you will start to see the victory over sin, the victory over death, the victory in so many areas of our life. But first we must believe. 
we must believe. And not only that, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, someday we're going to have our own, our own resurrection someday. Lazarus, just like Lazarus, just like Jesus, rose from the dead. That's the proof that someday we will be resurrected from the dead. That's the proof that someday we will live forever with God. But believing starts, starts it. Believing is seeing. And it's the same thing in the Christian life too. We have to believe. Unbelief hinders seeing God's work in our life. Unbelief keeps God's glory from being realized in our life. It keeps his power from working in and through us when we don't believe. We're not going to see him working. That's why it's vital that we know God's promises. God's promises in his word so that we can believe them and act on them. There's promises all over the Bible. We, we, we have to know them so that we can believe and act on them. So then in verse 41 it says... So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. He, so they took away the stone. This taking away the stone is practice for what? Jesus' own resurrection, right? This is just, which is coming very quickly. Remember, we're, talking, we're on the final approach to the cross and the resurrection. We're on that final approach. The triumphal entry is going to spark the whole thing. We're on that. Matthew 27, 60 said they rolled a large stone, a big stone over the tomb of Jesus, but it wasn't big enough. But this rolling of the stone is a preview and it's a practice for what Jesus is going to do with his own resurrection. So they, they, they took away the stone, but this is also a picture of our, what Jesus does for us. When we put our faith in Jesus, when we say, God, I believe Jesus died for my sin, I ask you to forgive my sin. I put my faith in Jesus. I believe in him. When we take that step, when we do that, we, we are freed because before we put our faith in Jesus, we are trapped by a large stone. We're trapped by sin. We're trapped by death. We're, we're in bondage. We're in a, a prison. But Jesus frees us. When we put our faith in Jesus, he frees us. He rolls away the stone. He rolls it away. He frees us to really live here, for a real life here, and forever with him someday. He rolls away that stone. He does that impossible thing in our life. And then let me read the rest of that verse, uh, 41 to 42 now. Where he says, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that, you may, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus prays out loud. Why? For us. He's doing it for us. He knew God already, he knew his father already was hearing him. He could pray in his mind. He can pray in his heart, just like we can. But he said it for us so that we could believe. He wanted to make sure that everybody there and everybody here could connect the dots that the Father and the Son are connected. And that, and that the, the power, the, the power, the life and salvation through Jesus, come through Jesus if we will put our faith in him. He wants to make sure we can all connect the dots. Father, Son. Life, salvation, eternal life, all coming through Jesus. He wants to make sure we know it. And then verse 43, here we go. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Why do you think he called Lazarus by name? Because if he didn't, all the tombs would have emptied. It would have been a, a zombie apocalypse, right? There'd be dead people coming out everywhere. He couldn't just say, come out. He had to be very specific here. 
Because he had resurrection power. And once again, it's a picture of Jesus calling each one of us, come out of sin, come out of death, breathe free. We're all trapped in this tomb of sin and death by Satan. And he's, he's, it's the same picture that he calls every one of us. If you are a Christian sitting here as a Christian today, you've heard that call already. Get out of there. Guy, get out of there. Helen, get out of there. Right? He's called your name. You've heard that. You've gotten out of there. You've gotten out of the tomb. If we believe in Jesus, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are given life right now. It doesn't Becoming a Christian doesn't mean we get a harp in heaven someday. We might, I don't know, whatever, guitar, maybe electric guitar. But, but that, we get life now. It starts now. The real life starts now. And when our body dies, if we die before Jesus comes again, if our body dies, we'll hear Jesus call our name a second time. Remember we talked about that power nap we're all going to take? Quick, we have Christians sleep. We don't die, we sleep. We have that power nap. But then as soon as we're going to hear him call our name a second time. This time it's not get out of there, it's get up here. Get up here. He's going to call our name. Ed, get up here. Brad, get up here. Patty, get up here. He's going to call our name. We're going to hear him call us. In verse 44, it gets even better here. Verse 44, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The dead man came out. He's like, um, but not, he's not dead anymore. The dead man came out. He's not dead anymore, but he comes out like a mummy. You know, you see the mummy movies. You know, he comes out like this mummy, all wrapped up. You, you imagine the, the shock of these people. Can you, can you imagine what they must have felt like seeing this mummy come out of the, out of the grave? Crazy. Uh, I, I, saw, I, was, I saw a story in the news a while ago that reminded me what they must have felt like. Um, when Frank Lynn, this is a true story, when Frank Lynn approached his dead father's hospital bed and grasped the man's hand, his eyes opened and he looked at me and I almost had a stroke. Link Forty and other relatives were told Friday by St. Luke's, well, I'm not going to say the hospital, that uh, Kenneth Link, 67, hospitalized for a hip surgery, had died. Link drove to the hospital unaware a nurse had telephoned again to report that a mix-up in paperwork had happened and that his father was simply sleeping. <laughs> she said the telephone number for the family's home was switched accidentally with that of another patient who had died. Obviously, the hospital is very sorry, spokeswoman said. It's a terrible human error. He, he takes the, the, the hand of somebody he thought was dead and opens his eyes. And imagine he's a shock. That was a happy ending, right? And that's exactly what happened. These people must have been shocked. This guy comes out. You know, we've heard this since we were in Sunday school and heard it many times. This is shocking. It's shocking. But it's proof. It's proof that Jesus is the Son of God. It's proof. Remember what Martha said in 11.27 when she said, Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. It's proof that he's the Son of God. It's also a preview of his own resurrection, which is coming very, very quickly. And it's a picture for us. If we are a Christian, if we have put our faith in Jesus, Jesus will raise us with a new body someday. 
That's what this, this event means to us. It's powerful. And we're going to see what, it, what happened and as a result next week. There's even more that happened. But he says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, notice Jesus bossing everybody around. Roll the stone. Take off the clothes. Why doesn't he do anything? Right? Why doesn't Jesus do anything? He's always telling everybody to do something. Do this, do that, right? And he could have easily done it by himself. He could push that stone. He could have unwrapped the guy. But he commanded others. Why? There's a very positive reason why. Moving the rock is a picture of salvation. That's a picture of our salvation when that rock is moved. And that... For us, when we help somebody come to Christ and find their salvation, that is a privilege. God doesn't need us. He could use a donkey. Remember Balaam's donkey? He doesn't need us. He's allowing us to share our faith and lead people to salvation because he's sharing the joy of it. He's sharing the privilege, the excitement of it. Do you think these people... Ever forgot what happened? Do you think they ever forgot the shock and the joy and the excitement of seeing this, their good friend Lazarus come back alive? I was there. Graffiti all over that place. <laughs> Chuck was here when Lazarus came out of the tomb. I pushed the rock. I chipped the rock. I got a piece of the rock, you know. It, 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 we get to share the joy of that. And not only that, the salvation, moving the rock, but taking off the grave clothes isn't a picture of salvation. He's already been saved. He's already alive. He came alive. It's a picture of sanctification. Sanctification. That's when we become like Jesus. That's when we get rid of the sin in our life and become more holy like Jesus. Salvation is a one-time event, but sanctification, it takes a lifetime. Years and years. It never ends. <laughs> and, but as we help other people find their, grow spiritually and be sanctified, it builds our faith. The best way for us to grow spiritually is to help someone else spiritually. The best way to help someone else help, deal with our own struggles is help someone else in their struggles. Using our spiritual gift encourages us when we help them find freedom in Jesus Christ. So, Lazarus is alive. He's out of the grave but he still looks like a mummy. He's alive, but he looks like a mummy. He's all bound up, just like us. When we first become Christians, what are we? We're all bound up, all bound up. He has a brand new life, but he's dealing with these bondages, just like us, and it, it took time to unwind him. We don't know how long, but it took time to unwind, just like our lives. We need time to unwind. It's a lifetime, isn't it? It never ends. There's still, oh, there's still a Band-Aid there. There's still this. There's still this. There's another piece of cloth stuck in my eye. I can't see right. It's constant. It, it takes a lifetime of unwinding and becoming more like Jesus Christ. Our old self is dead. We are a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. We're a new creation. But it takes time and struggle to... to uh, become what we are already think of a butterfly in a cocoon that butterfly in the cocoon he's trying to get out of that cocoon he's already a butterfly he's not a caterpillar he's not a worm anymore he's a butterfly 
but he's all bound up by this cocoon. He's got to fight his way out. He can't use his wings until he fights his way out of that cocoon. And that's a picture of what we are when we first put our faith in Christ. That's a picture of Lazarus here. That is our battle. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us today? Maybe it's sanctification. Maybe there's something in our life that needs sanctification. We need to cut something away that's tripping us up. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 has a, I love that verse here, where he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. What do we need to throw off today? What do we need to throw off? How do we need to refocus? Maybe we have to get our eyes back on Jesus. Our eyes are on something else besides Jesus. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus. Maybe God is leading us to help other people in their struggles. There's someone else that he's calling us to help find their freedom in Jesus Christ. Galatians 6, 1-2 is a, is a great one on this. Galatians 6 says this, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, caught, caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Are we helping others find their freedom in Christ? The first step is sharing our faith and sharing how, what God has done in our life. Bringing them to salvation that's the first step in helping someone find that freedom. Do you know the blessing of that? If, if we don't share our faith, understand something. Helping someone find their freedom, the first step is helping them find Christ and, and, and putting their faith in Christ. And there's a joy in that. There's a power in that. And if we are not sharing our faith, I guarantee you your spiritual life is, is lacking in energy. Because I know the difference in my life when I'm sharing my faith or not sharing my faith. When we share our faith, it energizes us spiritually. It does something powerful in our life. Philemon 1.6 says this, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ Jesus. Until we are active in sharing our faith, we won't fully understand what we have. It just does something powerful. Whether they come to Christ or not, when we're sharing, just sharing our faith does something powerful. The Holy Spirit does something amazing in us. I know Chuck and his teams out there can relate to what I'm talking about. But it's everywhere. It, doesn't, it could be anybody, anywhere, anytime. It's, there's power there. Where, where are we in this process of sanctification? Are we sharing our faith? Are we helping others find freedom? Where are we personally? Are we becoming holy? Are we becoming like Jesus Christ? We've had many testimonies here. and You've heard we've all struggled with something. We all do struggle with something, don't we? Everyone here struggles with something. And we're finding our progressive freedom. It might be drugs, it might be alcohol, it could be tobacco, it could be sexual sin, it could be food, it could be other things that we think are oh, less obvious but are just as destructive. Things like materialism or, or fear or depression or bitterness or rebellion. You add, we can add many, many things to this list, can't we? There, but we all struggle with something. Where are we in this process of transformation? Are we, are we still in the cocoon, trying to fight our way out? Are we using our wings now? We're, we have weak wings, but we're using them. Maybe we're, we're learning how to fly. There's a process. 
There's a process in this. We're learning how to fly. Maybe we're really getting mature and we're looking out for predators. You don't want to get eaten by anything. There's constantly on our guard. Maybe you're here and you need help with something. If you don't, well, I don't, you're in the wrong church if you don't need help. <laughs> this is what we are. But if you, need, if you need someone to talk to, I'm here, Kim. We have good, great Christian counselors that we can connect you with. We have home fellowships and ladies' groups and men's groups. We, we all kinds of ways, books and, and all kinds of different ways we can, we can help each other. Uh, just a Christian friend, any, anybody here, we can help each other struggle. Are we helping others? Are we being patient? Are we being patient just like God is with us? Realizing that people that struggle are just like us and we're all damaged. That's why we struggle because we're, we're damaged by sin and, and we need that healing. Are we resisting God today? What he's trying to do in our life or in the life of other people. Are we, God, this really stinks? Or are we, but God, this really stinks? Or are we, God, I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to submit to what you're trying to do. Do we have the faith to trust him to be our Lord? And to be the Lord of the situations that we're in and other people are in. Do we trust him? Or, 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 or no buts about it. Do we trust him? Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian yet. You're still a, a worm. <laughs> Don't feel bad. We've all been worms. Caterpillars. That's what we are. We're, we're just caterpillars there. We're not made new yet. We haven't gone through that, the transformation process, the metamorphae. The Bible uses that same word, metamorphosis. Uh, we're, we're still trapped. Maybe you're still trapped in that grave of, and, and there's a big roadblock in your way. It's sin and Satan and death facing you. You don't have to stay there. Because of what Jesus did here for Lazarus, he has opened the door. Because of what he did on the cross, he has opened the door. He has made a way out. He has moved the rock of sin and death out of our way. If you believe. What he said here, if you believe, you will see. We'll see our freedom if you believe. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you believe, if we believe, believing is seeing. Do you have life? Do you want life life now and forever? Do you want that? Do you want to know that someday you will hear the voice of Jesus calling your name? Let's pray. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian yet, but you hear Jesus calling your name. Just like he called Lazarus out of the grave, he's calling your name. There's no missing it. When he calls, there is no missing it. And he's calling you to come out of sin and out of death and out of bondage. To life. To real life here on this planet earth and life forever with him someday in heaven. He's calling you. And he's saying to us what he said to Martha. If you believe, Will you put your faith in Jesus?
a simple prayer of God, I, I believe Jesus died for me. On that cross, he died for my sin, the wrong I've done. I repent of that sin. I, I turn away from that old life and I ask you to forgive me. I give you my life. I want you to make me a new person, a new creation in Jesus Christ. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, you now have life. Like Lazarus, you have just walked out of a tomb. You've just had your sins washed away. You've just been given brand new life. Satan Satan no longer has power over you. And you're going to hear the voice of Jesus every day. The Holy Spirit in you is going to be speaking to your heart in ways you never could have imagined. You're going to change you in ways you never thought possible as you stay close to Jesus. I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Someone you're here with. Tell me on the way out. Text me, call me, email me. Let, let somebody know so that we could, just like Lazarus, friends, we're excited. We're going to be so excited about your new life in Christ. Maybe you walked in this morning as a Christian already, but we haven't been living the Christian life. Maybe we've been living like we're spiritually dead in some way because there's sanctification that needs to happen. There's something that's hindering and sin entangling that we need to throw off this morning. Maybe we've thrown it off a a thousand times, but you need to make it a thousand and one today. Asking for God's mercy, you need to make it a thousand and one today. Father, I pray for every one of us that we would live free in Christ. I pray you would help us in this battle between the flesh and serving, Lord. We know it takes the Holy Spirit's help every day, every minute, every second to do this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.